Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. Did you know that we're giving away five 10-packs of Next Step Test Prep Practice exams to celebrate our 50th episode and closing in on one year of podcasts? Text the word TEST GIVEAWAY, that's all one word, TEST GIVEAWAY, to 44222. Again, that's TEST GIVEAWAY to 44222. Or you can go to medicalschoolhq.net slash mp50 giveaway. That's MP for MCAT Podcast 50 giveaway. The MCAT Podcast, session number 52. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. Welcome to the MCAT podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here today and every day, as well as uh, the host of many other podcasts, which you can find at mededmedia.com. This week, we're talking all about sociology, covering some sociology questions. Let's dive right in. All right, Brian. So this week, we're going to cover some discrete sociology questions. What in your mind with sociology, we've covered it a couple times before, uh, and the, the fact that students really possibly should try to take a sociology course and not, not try to wing it because the MCAT gets so specific with their terminology and definitions and things. What is your, your biggest thing that you see with students who struggle the most with sociology? Um, it, I would say it's probably not that different between social and psych. I mean, it's sort of the, the whole section, uh, but certainly social is part of it is exactly what you were saying about the technical definitions. And we've covered this idea before, but it, it certainly bears repeating that so much of the language used in the hard sciences, chem, phys, orgo, whatever, is so technical and unique to the sciences that students give it the respect that it's due. Right. There's no such thing as a half equivalence point in normal conversation. So when you encounter the phrase half equivalence point, your antenna perk right up and you know, oh, that's a science thing. I got to know exactly technically what is a half equivalence point. By contrast, so much of the language in sociology and in psychology as well can sound like normal English words. And so there's the temptation to just use your, well, I'm in educated <laughs> English speaking person, I know what this word means. Yeah. Whereas it's no, 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 no. You got to know the exact technical definition. Um, I always bring up Mead's I versus me as the example, but I'll give you another one. Like, I mean, take something like place theory. You, you, wait, what place theory? Just like, like literally the word place. Like, what does that even mean? Right. And, and you could be tempted to see it among the answer choices and 
make a really completely wrong inference based on the wording of the answer choice, based on the wording of the question and passage. You go, oh, well, I thought place theory had something to do with you know, how you memorize things. If you put it in a certain place in your memory, you'll memorize it. That's one I had recently with one of my own tutoring students. It's, it sounds was, like a, a real estate term, like place theory, like the, <laughs> the place where your house is going to determine the value of it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. You could see a whole cars passage about that. Although the usual real estate adage of location, location, location <laughs> is largely correct. Place theory posits that and then blah, 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 real estate. <laughs> uh, that gives me an idea for good economics passage. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah, so I, you know, to that student, I was like, okay, well, you've got the right idea, except that's called method of loci. That's a different sort of memorization technique. Place theory just has to do with where on the membrane in your ear, where the the place that it vibrates has, you know, like it. It was an entirely different topic, and he made it a completely incorrect guess based mm-hmm. on the fact that it was just using what sounded like normal English words. So, psych soch, know your terms, know the technical definitions of the terms. All right. So we have our handout. You can go and download it on the show notes page for this episode if you want to follow along with us. Question 44, I'll go ahead and start with this one. A sociologist is evaluating the interactions between clients and personal injury attorneys. She examines relations between rich, successful white attorneys and clients who are poor and from immigrant families. The sociologist seeks to focus her analysis on the difficulties that arise as a result of the differing levels of wealth and status possessed by the attorneys and clients. This analysis could best be described by which sociological framework? A. Symbolic interactionism. B. Functionalism. C. Conflict theory. Or D. Norm deviance dynamics. Yeah, no, I have no clue. <laughs> yeah, so the, this comes back to what we were just saying, right? You got to just know what these mean, right? Mm-hmm. So for symbolic interactionism, uh, to be prepared for the MCAT, you should be able to, you know, the, the student should be able to just rattle off a little 90-second definition for functionalism, conflict theory, uh, norm deviance dynamics. It's actually a distractor. That's not even a real thing. Um, <laughs> so... In this case, there, there are some keywords we wanted to pull out here. Each each of these questions, even though they're discrete that we're going to look at today, has a little story that that it tells, and you got to pull out the relevant info from the story. Not, not unlike you have to do on the the medical licensing exams, right? As they give you a whole little mm-hmm. kind of mini vignette. So in this case, that we're given a contrast between um, socioeconomic statuses, rich. Uh, versus poor, rich, successful white attorneys versus poor and immigrant families. And those are going to be the keywords that signal, oh, okay, if there is some sort of difficulty or conflict that's coming out of um, what Marx called the class struggle, differences between the classes, that that is textbook example of conflict theory. So the right answer here, C, conflict theory, when you see people fighting over money, or you see rich people and poor people having trouble getting interacting in some way, Probably that's conflict theory. Okay. All right, let's take a look at number 45. Sociologists have found that for first-generation immigrants from West African nations, health outcomes and healthcare disparities are relatively minor compared to white and Asian populations, whereas the children of West African immigrants experience health outcomes and healthcare disparities nearly aligned with U.S.-born African-American populations. This sharp downward change in a single generation is likely a a negative consequence of social segregation into ethnic enclaves, 
B, due to lifelong exposure to higher socioeconomic environment of the U.S. as opposed to West African nations. C, unrelated to educational attainment. D, due to an increased social and cultural integration into the U.S. Nope. Yeah, Still, no nothing. Idea, Ryan. Still, Still nothing. Still nothing. Yeah. So we, we can do this one by process of elimination, right? So this idea that, that immigrants who come from certain parts of the world have health outcomes um, that are more or less in line with, with the kind of majority white population. Uh, and then their children actually do much worse off. It's kind of the, the inverse of what we think of as the kind of typical immigrant story where folks come to the U.S. and they work really hard and their kids do better and then their grandchildren do do even better. Mm -hmm. um, we do actually see instances where it goes the other way around, where the children actually end up doing worse. Um, and it's notably from things like certain Caribbean countries, from West African nations. Um, and so, for example, A says a negative consequence of segregation into enclaves. Um, and so, in fact, uh, ethnic enclaves can provide a protective effect. So with certain ethnicities like these West African uh, immigrants mentioned in the question or Asian immigrants, enclaves actually produce better health outcomes. You know, they, they stick to the, to the um, it's typically explained by something like diet, right? They, they stick to a diet that's lower in fat and sugar and salt and all the awfulness that we eat in the U.S. And so they, they end up being healthier because they eat a more kind of healthy um, uh, diet like they had from immigrants. So, uh, in this case, a is kind of self contradicting that you can't say a negative consequence of the ethnic enclaves, because in this case, if they had stayed in the ethnic enclave, they actually would have been healthier. So a, a contradicts itself, right? An ethnic enclave in this case would have had a positive consequence for them. Mm. Um, B says lifelong exposure to higher socioeconomic environment of the U.S. as a composed uh, as compared to West African nations. Again, this contradicts the question because higher socioeconomic status makes you healthier. I mean, that's that's the the one of the strongest best correlates. How do you be healthy? Well, be rich. Um, so in this case, if they were exposed to higher socioeconomic status, they should be healthier. And yet, these these um, second generation family members are doing worse. So B contradicts the question. Uh, and C, unrelated to educational attainment, kind of a distractor. I mean, not, nothing in here about education. But again, socioeconomic status, education, and health status all tend to be correlated, mm -hmm. right? So those who are well off get better schooling. Those who are well off and get better schooling tend to be healthier. Um, so to say it's unrelated is, is a bit of a stretch. And that leaves us with D, increased social and cultural integration to the U.S., and this gets what I was saying before, right? If if an uh, an immigrant group comes in, the people who actually came to the U.S. will stick to the healthier diet that they had back in their home country. You know, it, again, less salt, fat, sugar, meat, dairy, less of all of that. And then so then they come here, they have kids, and the kids eat the really terrible American standard diet, and they end up being unhealthy as a consequence. Yeah. Makes and sense. so D is the right answer. Yep. Yeah. All right. Now I know. There no, you go. Yeah, knowing is no, half the battle. Knowing, and the other half is not eating the Big Mac. <laughs> <laughs> right. I like it. Stay away from McDonald's. Yep. All right. They they have a different place theory. They have the play place theory. Yeah. Right. Get the kids to come in. And <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um. All right. Nice little joke there. Question fifty-eight. Walking down a city sidewalk, a woman carrying several large shopping bags slips on some ice and drops her things. 
In which of the following situations is the woman most likely to receive help? The slip occurs during the morning rush hour period. The sidewalk is in a suburban neighborhood in a mixed-use area of the neighborhood. The sidewalk is on a busy urban avenue with many dozens of people around her when she slips. The sidewalk is otherwise deserted with only a single person walking towards the woman when she slipped. So I'm going to go to the good old bystander theory and say that she is most likely to receive help with D when there's only one other person around. Absolutely, Ryan. And and this is one case where the the knowing the technical term the bystander effect that you mentioned helps or you could maybe answer this just from kind of a gut instinct like oh yeah if there's only one person to see her slip then that one person is going to help her uh, and that would get you the right answer d is absolutely right unless that one person is crazy or yeah, texting and not paying attention <laughs> right yeah that's much more likely their eyes are never leave the phone yep all uh, right yeah, and I will just add from a test strategy perspective, answer choice A, morning rush hour, so there's a lot of people around, and answer choice C, busy urban avenue with dozens of people around. You should eliminate both of those, right? Like anytime two answer choices present essentially the same idea, they have to both be wrong. I would love for you to check out Next Step Test Prep's MCAT class. Kaplan, Princeton Review, and many other test prep companies out there have classes that you can take, a, a do-it-yourself kind of self-paced class with videos and access to tests and questions. But let me tell you about Next Step Test Preps. Their class has over 100 hours of videos. You get access to all 10 of their top-rated MCAT full-length practice exams. You get access, which is the huge differentiator. You get access to five live office hours every week where you can go and ask questions to some of the top tutors that Next Step Test Prep has to offer. Go check them out, nextstepmcat.com. Use the promo code MCATPOD, that's all capital letters, M-C-A-T-P-O-D, to save some money on the MCAT class. All right, I hope you join us next week here at the MCAT Podcast. Don't forget to check out everything else that we have to offer at MedEdMedia. That's M-E-D-E-D, media.com.